on the show this week, over $300 million in counting. That's the bill taxpayers are footing for asylum seekers crossing into Canada irregularly in the last year alone. Plus, police are trying to find out where a Liberal MP got the vast sums of money he was gambling with. We'll talk to two MPs about what's at stake. Then, NATO foreign ministers meet on Tuesday as tensions escalate between Russia and Ukraine. What more can NATO and the West do to deter President Putin? And a new North American trade deal is signed, but events here at home overshadow the ceremony. We'll unpack the politics of an investigation on the Hill. I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to the West Block Podcast. $340 million in counting. That's how much taxpayers' money is being spent by the Canadian government in the past year alone to process asylum seekers who are simply walking across the border into Canada. This number does not include the millions of dollars in costs to the provinces to house and care for these irregular migrants. We asked the government for a minister to come on the show and answer some questions on this issue, but we were told that nobody is available. We begin today with a story that broke late Friday night when former Liberal MP Raj Graywall announced he was taking a leave of absence from the Liberal caucus following days of stories that surrounded his gambling addiction. Here's what the MP had to say Friday night. My sins are not ones based in corruption and dishonesty. They are born out of human frailty. Graywall went on to say that he has paid back every single one of his loans, amounting to millions of dollars in gambling debts. But police are investigating where the money came from, and for now, Graywall intends to stay on as a member of Parliament. Joining me now is Peter Schiefke, Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Border Security and Organized Crime, and in Toronto, Conservative immigration critic Michelle Rempel. Peter, I want to start with you. Probably the biggest political story of the week and one that's been snowballing. That's MP Raj Graywall. There's a police investigation into him. He has seven figures uh, in gambling. There's questions about where that money came from. You're the parliamentary secretary for organized crime. Are you concerned that there could be a connection between Mr. Graywall and organized crime? Well, unfortunately, I don't have a clear answer for you on that. Uh, there is an ongoing investigation by the RCMP. Uh, I pretty much know as much as uh, you know, most Canadians. I'm hearing about this in the news. I'm learning about uh, about what he's being accused of, uh, like many of my colleagues are. Um, and I mean, I, it wouldn't be my place to comment on an ongoing investigation. The one thing that I will say is that we have confidence in the RCMP to carry out their investigation and to uh, bring about the conclusions that uh, Canadians want to hear. Do you think that maybe the PMO should have triggered on this a little earlier when the RCMP started making calls about his trip to India back in the spring and the Prime Minister's office was aware of that? So I don't know whether or not the Prime Minister's office was aware or wasn't aware. I'm not I'm not uh, familiar well, they, with what's been told they to the Prime They were Minister's aware office. on that. Um, the one thing that I will say once again is that, you know, having worked with the RCMP uh, for the last little while, uh, we have confidence in the work that they're going to do, uh, the work they've already done, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing where this investigation takes us and uh, what the results will be. Michelle, do you believe that the Prime Minister's office didn't have any inkling that this was a problem? I, you know, if the Prime Minister's office had any reason to suspect that there was a security issue, etc., that's something that I think Canadians expect to be informed of. So I'm, and I know my party is going to be watching this issue very keenly and holding the government to account, should that be the case. I'd like to switch to immigration now, the other topic that we want to address. The Parliamentary Budget Officer put out a report this week, Peter. New numbers, $340 million is the bill that taxpayers have been footing just for people to cross the border and process them in the last year alone, and they project that that's going to continue and increase. When you have people in Alberta who've lost their jobs, people at GM who've lost their jobs, taxpayers look at that number. 
Do you think that they should be happy with how the government is performing on this? So I think the, the report shows two things. First is that Canada is, is uh, being affected, just like so many other countries, by the increase in migration all around the world. There are tens of millions of people that are looking for refuge from prosecution, uh, from uh, civil war, from economic crises. Uh, and the second is that uh, we need to, as a government, always look for ways to make uh, what the UNHCR actually considers to be uh, one of the best programs for the management of asylum seekers in the world more efficient. The good news is, is that we are, and we have for the last two years, been working with the RCMP and uh, the uh, the uh, border security uh, to make sure that we're looking for as many ways as possible to make the system as efficient as possible. Uh, what we've been able to do so far is to make it so that every single case uh, is handled in a faster okay. manner, and that's because of the great yeah, work that's being I done by Michelle the RCMP a to as well here. as the. Michelle, go ahead. So first of all, we have to be clear about who we're talking about here. These are people who have reached the safety of upstate New York. We have an agreement with the United States called the Safe Third Country Agreement, which is in theory is supposed to prevent asylum claim shopping, and that's really what's happening here. The United States is a safe country. The Liberals have just spent $1.1 billion to uh, allow people to illegally enter our country from the safety of upstate New York. That's not a system working well. That's a system that's being in a state of abuse. Uh, when we're talking about the world's most vulnerable people, it is not people that are in upstate New York. And, and frankly, I, this is just an entire—we know now how much that hashtag Welcome to Canada tweet that the Prime Minister put out cost. I mean, the average cost of somebody illegally crossing into Canada who makes an asylum claim from the U.S. is roughly about the same, not including provincial social welfare costs, as a minimum wage worker would make in the entire year in Canada. And that's just an abuse. Okay, so the government spinning that is around this, it's ridiculous. That is one of the questions, is that it doesn't include the full amount, because you still have to house these people. In some cases, you have to feed them and take care so, of them. Mercedes, do you understand why Canadians are frustrated? I do, and I think they're frustrated because they're also being given a lot of misinformation, and, and it's actually being per, uh, per, perpetuated by my colleague from Calgary Knows Hill. First of all, uh, she knows full well that she's not in a position to decide who can claim asylum into Canada and who can't. We have a great system set up for we're, that. Second, she questions the be. intelligence of every Canadian that. whenever she tries to put forward the argument that uh, irregular migrants are coming to our borders because of a tweet. She either isn't aware of what's going on around the world or the she's purposefully said. misleading Canadians. Actually, actually, and I'm asking her which one is it. But in addition to that, the reality is that we are now experiencing what so many other countries are experiencing. The only difference between what's happening now and what happened before is that we're actually taking but, action to try and put in place a system that is more efficient and better but able to process. But that's to process them. Manage. You're not stopping people from crossing. So we yeah, have an agreement which wanna, she highlighted wanna, and she's trying back. to mislead Canadians, unfortunately, again, no, because actually, the Safe Third Country Agreement cannot be modified or changed. Okay. Okay, one second, one more time here. So I, I, it cannot I, I be modified or changed unilaterally, which she's suggesting we can do. It actually took there, a while to develop that agreement, okay. and now we're looking into, and the You're minister actually made it, several weeks ago a trip for, to Washington. For a, did we he have. make any progress is, on that trip? He did. He, he met with high-level officials but to discuss But has anything changed? Ways. No, and, and that's what okay, we need so to reinforce. Okay, so then I want to give that, Michelle a chance to respond. Look, Canada, Parliament, the government of Canada has the sovereign right to manage our borders. We, as Parliament, can legislate who comes into the country and who doesn't. And the reality is, is that the Liberals are trying to spin around that. And in terms of misinformation, <laughs> here's something interesting. Uh, the parliamentary secretary, who's on your show today, as well as the minister, have been standing up in the House of Commons using a, f a figure around children. And in fact, the parliamentary budget officer, in his report, stated that the government wasn't tracking the ages of people coming into the country. So I want to know from him if he was lying to Canadians or if he was lying to the parliamentary budget officer.
Do you want to so the information that we've actually received tells us that roughly 40% of those coming into this but country are actually children. On, and the other thing that I want to mention, and this is important, no, I want to know who my, my colleague to, is saying that it is our job as a government you don't to that. make if changes when necessary. And this is really important for Canadians to know. Do you track the ages of people coming into the country? The RCMP does a great job of tracking all the information necessary. The one thing I want to say is we've had over the last six months this this opposition say that we could have made changes, we need to make changes. Over their period, and Canadians need to know this, 230,000 asylum seekers came into Canada under Stephen Harper's government, and they did nothing to change the system. Both of you stop for a second here so we can jump in. This is a great debate, and I know we're going to continue to talk about it, but we are out of time for right now, so thank you both very much for joining us. Up next, tensions escalate between Russia and Ukraine. What more should be on the table to deter President Vladimir Putin? NATO foreign ministers are set to meet in Brussels on Tuesday, and Russian aggression will be top of the agenda. Tensions between Russia and Ukraine escalated when Russia seized three Ukrainian naval ships late last month. What should the West and NATO do to deter Vladimir Putin? Joining me now from New York is Stephen Sestanovich, a former State Department official and professor of international affairs at Columbia University. Uh, Stephen, what can NATO do at this point? Well, NATO wants to make as clear as possible to the Russians that they made a mistake, that they should reverse gear, release the ships and the prisoners, and uh, allow a more normal uh, access for uh, Ukrainian shipping into their own ports. They also want to make clear that they're firmly behind uh, Ukraine in security terms and will continue to provide uh, military equipment. And they also want to try to re-energize the diplomacy. Uh, this has been on hold for some time, and with a Ukrainian presidential election coming up, there may not really be the best environment for making progress on this. But the ministers will surely want to push uh, to get some kind of new movement, uh, while making clear that that doesn't in any way compromise their support for Ukraine. Canada has troops in the region, including in Ukraine and in Latvia, to try to deter Russia. Uh, one of the things the Ukrainians have been talking about is actually potentially having NATO ships come to the area where this is happening. Do you think that that's a realistic possibility? I think NATO ministers and NATO governments are going to be very reluctant to do anything that creates a new uh, risk of military confrontation. Uh, but they are thinking about, and various NATO governments have proposed, upgrading the military presence and exercises in the Black Sea. But this is a pretty dicey situation, and they don't want to make it worse. You know, people remember that in 2008, the Russians provoked the Georgians again and again, another neighboring state. And eventually, the, Rus the Georgians took the bait, and the result was a war. Nobody wants that, that to happen with Ukraine. So there's going to be a lot of caution uh, conveyed to, to both sides, but including the Ukrainians. Let's not do anything stupid. Do you think there's a threshold that risks a Ukrainian retaliation? Look, there is a, an ongoing war in eastern Ukraine. There is firing every day. There are uh, international observers who talk about uh, violations of an ostensible ceasefire. 
that are in the, you know, in the dozens every day. So there's always a possible trigger for new hostilities. If the Russians decide, though, as they've been doing for about six months, to completely choke off Ukrainian shipping, th that will produce new tensions and it will put new pressure on any Ukrainian government to respond. Uh, my guess is the Russians, as they normally do, having tested the waters, will back away a little bit from this so as not to have a rapid escalation. When they put more pressure on Ukraine, they want it to stick, and they just want the Ukrainians to back down. There's been lots of discussion this weekend about the relationship between Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. Does Donald Trump have any influence over Vladimir Putin in a situation like this? Trump's main influence is to convey very strong Western unity uh, and to indicate what kinds of new problems could cre be created for Putin if he does something rash and, in, and f continues uh, to act in an aggressive way against Ukraine. New sanctions, new military equipment for Ukraine, uh, new isolation for Russia. That's the main influence of a negative kind. He may also want to hold out the prospect of some kind of improvement in Russian-American relations, and that's been one incentive that the Trump administration has dangled before Putin. But the truth is, they haven't been able to deliver on that. So most of the pressure on Putin is going to be of a negative kind. If you continue to put pressure on Ukraine, there's going to be a world of hurt ahead of you. Is that kind of pressure effective? I wonder, because we've spent so much money and sent so many troops to try to deter the Russians, and yet now we see, the, see them seizing Ukrainian ships. Yeah, th this is a—it's a good question for policymakers and for journalists and for, for experts. Uh, the Russians have been under enough pressure until now not to e escalate uh, what they're doing against Ukraine. They haven't been under enough pressure to retreat. Uh, that's a, a difficulty in diplomacy, to be honest. Uh, I think that there were many people in Russia who wanted to go a lot further in 2014, and I believe that Western unity and sanctions actually helped slow them down and stop them, but it didn't force them to retreat. Okay, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us with your time and expertise today. Pleasure. I want to make it clear that every single personal loan that was made to me was made by check, that everyone has been paid back, and every loan and repayment is transparent and traceable. This has nothing to do at all with anything sinister except to feed my own addiction. That was former Liberal MP Raj Graywall giving his statement on repaying his debts and his decision to reconsider resigning as an MP. To discuss all of this, joining me is Daniel LeBlanc, a political reporter who's been driving much of the story at The Globe and Mail, and John Iveson, a political columnist with The National Post. Uh, start with you, Daniel. What did you make of that video statement? It was a partial response to the questions that are out there. So first off, we, we knew it was more than $1 million in debts that he had. Now we use the word millions, which raises the quantum. But the questions remain as to to whom was this money owed? Were these people, was Mr. Graywall in a conflict of interest or perceived conflict of interest in relation to these debts? Uh, how was the money paid back? 
It sounds like his family bailed him out of how much money. Uh, does he still owe, did he consolidate his debts or does he have new debts? Uh, there's so many questions still about the financial disclosure and what was the basis to the story is an MP who was in facing serious personal challenges, a gambling debt, and but also a, a number of other questions as to with whom had he been dealing. Well, and he's now basically saying, John, as Daniel was saying, that he has raised millions of dollars to repay, this is the first time we find out it's actually millions in debt. Um, we still don't know where the original money came from, though. Right. I mean, for a transparent response, it's not very transparent. And it may be that uh, he supplies some of this information to the Ethics Commissioner. On his Ethics Commissioner filing, it, it says he's got lines of credit from his student debt days. Now, presumably, you would then add millions and millions of new debt that he's added. Uh, and you're right, it, it doesn't explain where the money came from in the first place, given his uh, MP salary is, is, is relatively limited com compared to the amount of outlay he was uh, spending. Um, but then again, he had ties to companies in and around Brampton. They were declared as employment income. Um, and we know that there are RCMP investigations into uh, some of those relationships. Uh, it seems to me that uh, this story is not going away. The, the um, the opposition parties are going to want to know a lot more about this and they're going to want to try and spread this contagion to other members of the government and, and already we're starting to see other Liberal MPs named in some of these stories. Well and there was a story in the National Post that named Navdeep Baines. He is one of the most important and prominent ministers in this government saying that your paper reporting that uh, the RCMP had been called in respect to a multi-million dollar land deal. It ties Raj Graywall's name to Navdeep Baines. How dangerous is that politically for the government? Well, I think, you know, the idea that he's now reconsidering his resignation, I, I think that the Liberal whip will not allow him to reconsider his resignation. I think that they will want him gone because this is now starting to spread. And, and this is a complicated story in Brampton, but essentially the city of Brampton was trying to buy some land from the province. The province's price was too high. Uh, Baines and Greywall were, were sent the details of the, of the, of the price. The, the suggestion is that somehow this price was then handed to a, a land developer which had ties to the Liberal Party. In fact, one of the members went with Greywall to India on the Prime Minister's trip. This company then bought the land and then flipped it back to the city of Brampton for a million dollars more. And the RCMP is asking questions about his relationship with that company in India. So that's two, possibly three RCMP investigations all naming the same person. And the fact he didn't resign just keeps the story going because now the question is, why did he resign? We got from his video one sense that he was forced to resign by the Liberal Party. He met the PMO. He met Mark Holland, the Liberal whip. Uh, they tried to force him to resign. He actually said he would, and now he's reconsidering, and that just drags this whole story forward. And this attempt to, you know, cut off the controversy by having him gone has not worked, and he's staying here for a while. And one thing that, that intrigued me from the story that appeared in the Post was that the one of the directors of the company said, well, Greywall, he's, he's just an MP in the area. He's nothing more. But he is something more, because we know through his own filings that he acts as a lawyer for companies in construction and in uh, immigration cases. So, you know, I think that's another side issue here is the fact that MPs often moonlight and do other jobs when they should be full-time MPs. Uh, I think that's a practice the, the, uh, the House of Commons should look at. But, well, 
Yeah, I mean, it just it, it strikes me that he's brought suspicion upon himself by having these other other ties. Well, and the Liberals have largely lost control of this at this point because you can force them out of the party and out of caucus, but you can't force them out of parliament. No, and we saw from Nicolas Diorio, who resigned in the spring, who is still sitting as an MP, uh, will resign in January. Uh, the issue of the by-election will be interesting if there is a by-election. If not, what does it mean for Brantonese? That's where... Jagmeet Singh also could have been running uh, or could be running in the next election, the next federal election. Uh, the Tories will want the seat. Um, there are kind of bigger political issues at stake here as well. The, the, the trend with these seats in Brampton and Mississauga, uh, much of the 905 ring around Toronto is that they move in lockstep, provincially and federally. They've all gone blue or they've all gone red. Hmm. And they all went red last, last time. And it may be that uh, the tide turned this time. Well, and there is another report that is not going to be helpful to the government coming out tomorrow. On Monday, we're expecting this. Uh, it is the report into the Prime Minister's disastrous trip to India, the security compromise question about uh, a convicted murderer who attended his reception, Jaspal Atwal. Um, this, again, brings up difficult issues for the Liberals on a trip they'd rather forget. The infamous India trip uh, that, you know, there's the pictures. Uh, we saw, you know, the Liberals dip in the polls after that trip. Um, and, you know, more bad news just reminds that and uh, brings back bad memories. Ralph Goodale was not happy with the way the, the whole thing was handled. Uh, and more questions, more opposition uh, fire uh, probably starting on Monday. Yeah, it's funny when you talk to people inside and, and you say, well, are the, is there any upside to India? Maybe you've got some bump in the polls and, uh, and some... Uh, Indian Canadian communities and they go no no we just uh, when people raise India we go India did we go to India it's one they want to forget well and for them it, it again ties back to Graywall who the RCMP are asking questions about his time in India it ties back to questions that they were being asked about relationships to Khalistani separatists uh, and groups that are not legal in Canada and now they have to face sort of the perfect storm of the Raj Graywall incident uh, and unfolding investigations plus the India trip all compounding at once just before Christmas uh, more bad news, and people have really been gobbling up this uh, Raj Graywell story. We see from our numbers uh, who's been reading the stories and how many people are reading the stories. It, it is something that's caught the population's interest and raises a lot of questions. And ethics and the Liberal Party, I, I don't think they want to be running on, eth on the issue of ethics in the next election. No, definitely <laughs> Achilles heel for the Liberal Party, as we've seen down the years. Okay, well, that will be the end of this discussion for today, but I'm sure not the end of this story as it continues to grow, especially with Raj Graywell making the decision that he is, in fact, going to stay in Parliament. Thank you both very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for checking out the West Block podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and listen on your Apple podcast, Google podcast, or wherever you find your podcast. And join the conversation at the West Block Facebook and check out our Instagram page. And please tune in again.